We are in a series called Words of Life, the Commands of Jesus. We are listening specifically to the things that Jesus commanded his followers. And we're saying, how can we do these things? Not because we're dutiful soldiers and we have to and we want to get a, a perfect grade on the test, but we're doing them because we believe that the commands of Jesus are words of life. They are the words that will lead us where we need to be. They will like, give us the best information uh, that will lead to salvation and life that truly is life. So uh, words of life, we're going to hear something this morning that you might have heard before uh, and challenge ourselves to really listen. And I'm really excited that I get to talk to you guys for a little bit because the main thing that we're going to hear today, if you don't hear anything else, is how much God loves you. And that's good news. Read along with me. This is Matthew chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These are words of life. Uh, let's pray together as we prepare to receive them. Lord, we are here. We are listening. Open our hearts to what you want us to know. Give us courage and willingness to make any changes we might need to make in our lives that can better honor you. Thank you so much for Jesus, his love, his sacrifice, and his words of life. Uh, we, we love you too. We pray this in his name. Amen. So when you look at this, they came up to Jesus with this question. Seems like a simple question, but it says that they did it to test him. They wanted to test him with the question. Why do they want to test Jesus? Why is it a test to ask the question, and why is his answer either passing the test or not? you got to understand what's going on in the life of Jesus when this was spoken. Jesus doesn't say this at the beginning of his ministry, the way that we heard last week when he said, repent, believe the good news. It was the first thing he said in his ministry. And then the week before, we heard Jesus say this, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Uh, that's what he says at the very end of his ministry, after his resurrection. He commissions the disciples to do that. This is somewhere in between, but it's closer to the end. Specifically, this is the last week of Jesus' life before he's crucified. This probably happens on Tuesday of Passover week. So Sunday was Palm Sunday. He goes to Jerusalem, but his ministry had been heating up at this point. He had earned some followers, and people were listening and trying to understand, but there were religious leaders and people who were like, this guy's a problem. We don't like what he's saying. We don't think he's the son of God. We've got to get rid of him. So things are like he's in the city where people are out to get him. And if you read Matthew chapter 21 and then the previous verses in 22, what you get is kind of a, kind of a heated debate. He's in this place where there's all these religious scholars and they've, they've heard that he's some kind of teacher. So they're testing him. They're kind of poking him in the chest and saying, oh yeah, what do you think of this? Oh, hey, tell us. Where does your authority come from? And who gave you this authority in the first place? Tell us this, teacher. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he responds, what about the resurrection? What do you think about that? 
And he responds. And this comes right after that. All right, teacher, what do you think is the greatest commandment? And his response is not that surprising. Some of the things that he's been saying to them was trouble or problematic. This response is maybe the safest thing he could have said. Jesus gives them something that they would have been very, very familiar with. The greatest command, well, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not one of the specific Levitical laws about how to treat your skin disease or uh, how the tabernacle should be constructed and all the, the regulations for worship that Moses communicated to Israel. The thing that Jesus told them was the Shema. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Everybody say, Shema. Shema. Repeat after me. Shema. Shema. Israel. Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. We'll work on that. Adonai Echad. That is the Shema. It's a prayer that Jewish people pray to this day. It is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love God is the greatest commandment. It's called the Shema because the very first word in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, is the Hebrew word for hear. Or listen, and that's the word Shema, which you now know. But it's not just listen, like let this sound bounce off of your ears. It's not like listening to music or the, the background noise of these fans that I'm hearing now. It's listen, and also understand, and also internalize it and put it into practice. It's very different than just a noise or a sound. It is take it in. Hear it. Absorb it. Make this part of what you're doing. And it wasn't just the religious leaders like the Pharisees or the Sadducees who would have recognized this verse. And were like, oh yeah, we studied the scriptures. We know the Shema. It was everybody. Because this was a prayer they would have prayed at least once a day. This would have been as familiar to them as the Pledge of Allegiance is to most of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, Jesus says. Jesus had said a lot of controversial stuff, but this was not controversial at all. He's telling them the greatest command is not something hard. It's not something new. It's not going to sound like blasphemy. It's not going to be something that you need to try to wrap your head around. It's the most basic piece of theology that we have. Love God. And God is a God of love. So it makes sense that the most important thing that God calls his people to do is reflect that love by loving him back, and then Jesus adds on, loving your neighbor, which is a way that you can love God, is by loving your neighbor. One commentator put it like this. I like this. An angry God might desire obedience, first and foremost. A God of war might desire acts of servitude. A greedy God would require great sacrifice, and an insecure God might want a massive amount of praise and worship before anything else. But our God wants us to reflect back to him what is in his heart, and that is love. And once love is shared, then it is a joy to obey and sacrifice and worship and praise our God. And that is because he loved us first. 
end quote. Reminds me of an old song that we used to sing in Bible class when I was a kid. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Oh, girls, do you love Jesus? Are you sure you love Jesus? Tell us why you love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Yes! We love because he loves us first. I didn't just get that from Sunday school. This comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. A really, really short verse that you can memorize right now. We love because he first loved us. This is at our core. We are created in love. Where we come from, it's in our DNA. Our creator is a creator of love, and that's what we're designed to do. Reflect that love back to him and to others. You might have heard of the Ironman competition. It is a uh, 2.4-mile swim, which, that's pretty far. Then when you're done with a 2.4-mile swim, you get on a bike, and you ride two miles, and then 110 miles after that. <laughs> it's a long, long bike ride. And then, as if that weren't enough for your Saturday, you then uh, run a marathon. Why not, while you're at it? So Ironman competition takes a lot out of you. You have to be physically fit, but you also there's like a mental acuity that you have to prepare yourself for. It's like a psychological thing just to keep on going. Well, there's this Catholic nun named Sister Madonna Buder, and her nickname is the Iron Nun because she is a nun that competes in Ironman competitions. She is 91 years old, and she has completed 45 Ironman competitions. So she knows a thing or two about perseverance, about stamina, about that mental preparation that's required. Well, she spoke to a group of athletes before one of these Ironman competitions one time. They got her up in front of the microphone, and this is what she told them. Tomorrow, when things get tough out there, remember, you were loved into existence. If you get discouraged and want to quit, if you get injured and can't finish, if things don't go the way you hope, even though you've trained for this day for months or even years, then remember, you were loved into existence. I think that's so true. I think we need to know that we are loved. And if we don't, we're going to have a hard time loving God or loving others. And you need to know that you exist because of love. Scripture tells us that each of us was loved and known by God even before we were born. Your designer and your creator's primary characteristic is love. God loves us, and we in turn are called to love God. It's written over here on the wall. It's what Jesus cited because it's the prayer the Jews prayed every single day. Like I said, it's the most basic piece of theology, love God. But when Jesus said this, even though the Pharisees would have recognized this, they may have had very different ideas about what loving God looks like. For the religious elite, loving God meant keeping the laws, the traditions, and having the right reputation, hanging out with the right kinds of friends, and maybe more importantly, not hanging out with the wrong kinds of friends, excluding appropriately. In many ways, the love that the Pharisees had learned to express to God was a love that performs and tries to continuously justify itself. But for Jesus, loving God meant Shema. It meant listening and understanding and putting into practice the heart of God, 
And that's not an exclusion thing. That involves including the love of your neighbors. Jesus says all the law and the prophets, everything in the Hebrew Bible hinges on these two commandments. In other words, if you get these ones right, the rest will fall into place. When we hear Jesus teaching about the greatest command, we might get this similar sense of familiarity. Oh yeah, I've heard this before. I know this one. He sang a song about it when I was growing up. But something we already know, but it may not be something that we are applying. Maybe we have heard it. Maybe it's bounced off our ears a few times, but maybe we are not shemaing it, listening, understanding, applying, and living it out. Part of Jesus' understanding of how to love God, and this is what he teaches here, is that you got to do it with your whole heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. As the book of Deuteronomy goes on, remember the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, it continues and it talks about having an undivided heart toward God. I think that that is a big challenge for me, and maybe it is for you too. Because I know I've been taught how to love. I believe in God's love. I, I think I love God back. I try to love all of you. But the consistency is maybe a factor. Not having an undivided, not having a divided heart. I think I said that right. Sometimes we love God with half of our heart, half of the time. Sometimes we love God with all of our heart, part of the time. Loving God with all of our heart, all of the time, is a bit of a challenge. We love God, but we also have a lot of other things in our lives that require our attention and our love. And so maybe our love gets a little bit spread thin. There's a story that I read to my girls that you may have heard. It's called The Giving Tree. Classic children's story. Uh, it's a story about a boy and a tree. And the boy loves the tree, but the boy loves the tree very sporadically when it's convenient for him. The tree, however, loves the boy faithfully, consistently, sacrificially, all the time. And if you don't know the story, it begins with this boy and this tree, and they're having a great time. They have this wonderful relationship. And the tree goes to the boy, or the boy goes to the tree every day and climbs in the tree's branches and eats the apples and takes naps in the shade. And this is a beautiful relationship. But as you might expect, when the boy gets older, he starts to love other things. He has a girlfriend that he loves. He has a career. He discovers money and starts to chase after that. He wants to travel the world and see all of these amazing things. And these aren't bad things. Uh, it's, it's not wrong to have these things in your life, but what we discover as the story unfolds is that the boy goes and visits the tree less and less often, and the tree is sad. The boy, again, loves the tree occasionally, and we find out in a very self-serving kind of way. I need something, tree. Can you help me get this thing that I want? The tree always tries to help, always tries to serve, always tries to accommodate. The tree loves the boy, always and completely. And when I read this story to my kids, I almost always get choked up. I'll always get like this close to crying because I realize that this tree is so much like Jesus Christ and I am so much like the boy in the story. And if you start to research this book, you'll come to find that there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. 
Because some people think that the giving tree is this beautiful story of sacrificial love. Great story. Everyone should know this. And other people say, this is a harmful story because it is an unchecked example of a textbook abusive relationship. You think about it. It's one person doing all the giving and one person doing all of the taking. As I think about this book, I hope that didn't ruin the book for you. I think it's a beautiful story of sacrificial love. But with, with that in mind, I realize, man, I don't want my relationship with God to be like this boy in the story where it's all about me and all I'm doing is asking for things. I want to, know, to receive that love and not take advantage of it. I want to know that love in a way that makes me respond to it, to reflect it back to God and then just be filled with it so that it pours out of me when I interact with other people. But I have to admit, I am not there. But this is where I want to go. I want to love God because he first loved me. I want to lo the love that I have for God and my neighbors to be that reflection of the love that I have been shown. I want to be completely overwhelmed by God's love and not performing for it or trying to earn it or justify it. And I think this is key to, to understanding how we're supposed to love God. Is that understanding that God loves us even when we're at our worst. We need to have this, not just head understanding, but like heart and full-bodied understanding that Jesus Christ died for us even when we were still sinners. And if we do nothing at all, God's love for us is not changed. I think that might be the hardest part of this whole thing. Ironically, maybe, the hardest part is doing nothing and just sitting and realizing that God loves us. Maybe you're farther along in that than I am. Maybe you have more life experience where you've learned to trust in God and you're more full of that love. And I've seen that from a lot of you in this church. But we're up against a lot because our culture, my own experiences, my own insecurities tell me, you know, I, I can't be loved for doing nothing. I've got to earn it. I've got to deserve it. And the people that I love, they kind of have to deserve it too, or else I'm done with them. But that's not the good news. The good news is, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us so much that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The imperfect love that we've experienced in our lives make it hard for us to shema, to understand and act on the love that we read about from God. It's hard to believe. Maybe you've been hurt when you tried to love someone with your whole heart. You put yourself out there. They stomped on your heart and they handed it back to you. So now what are you going to do? I'm not going to do that again. I'll maybe love you with part of my heart. I'm going to be guarded. Maybe love is this precious commodity that we hold on to and say, it's, it's like a dying resource that we have to conserve so it's understandable and it makes sense but here we are listening to jesus tell us if you only knew how much god loved you you would be free to love him back with your whole heart you would be released into the world with this relentless love that just blesses your neighbors and shines the light of christ everywhere you go Jesus is telling us, you can love like this, and you really should. And if there's anybody you can trust, it's the God who loves you more than anybody else in the world. So Lisa mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, she's pregnant, and uh, we're having uh, a baby, a baby girl, in December. 
and I don't, I don't know this baby girl. She doesn't have a name yet. She doesn't have a birth certificate. Uh, she, I don't know anything about her except that she's a girl and that when Lisa eats nachos, she kind of jumps around a little bit. She, she seems to like the nachos pretty well. So she's in the right family. <laughs> I don't know anything about this, this person, but I love her so much. It is indescribable. I cannot wait to meet her. And she contributes nothing. She, does, she has no job. She doesn't do any chores. She doesn't pitch in interesting facts in the conversations that we have. She does less than a person who sleeps all day. And we love her so much. And I want to say that's how God loves us, but I think that's just a glimpse. That's just a small look at the immense, amazing love that God has for you. I think we need to sit with that. The hardest part is saying like, okay, sure, I've heard that. Bible says so, probably true. But to go and live like it's true, that's the hardest part. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to invite you into something that might be hard. I want you to do nothing. I'm going to take out my timer and I'm going to set it for one minute. For one minute, I want you to sit still and do nothing. And it's okay if you think this is a waste of time. You might be thinking, I go to church to sing and to pray and maybe study the Bible. I ought to be doing something. But what we really need to understand is how much God loves us even when we do nothing. So are you ready? Get comfortable. Do as little as you can and let that love sink in. Ready? Go. Will you stand and pray with me? Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for forgiving us through Christ. Thank you for Jesus, who believed in your love and trusted in your love more than anybody else. As we listen to his words of life, as we strive to reflect his heart in the relationships we have throughout our week, we pray that you will increase our faith, increase our trust, and give us a, a greater and greater understanding of this great love that only comes from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.